Hello and welcome to Queer as Fiction, where we talk about the intersection between the queer and the historical in the media. My name is Eli. And I'm Jason. Today we're talking about the 2007 novel and 2017 movie, Call Me By Your Name. Before we get started, there are of course some content warnings for this episode. The big one is that this book and movie is just about an adult in a relationship with a teenager. So we're going to talk about that. Yep. Yeah. Apart from that, we're going to kind of briefly, in a surface level, mention some homophobia and some anti-Semitism and AIDS. So if any of that sounds like something that you don't want to listen to, feel free to skip this one and join us in our next episode. As I alluded to at the top of this podcast, originally this was a book. It was published in 2007, written by Andre Asiman. And it was adapted into a movie last year, so 2017. Very recent. You may, in fact, have heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, directed by Luca Guadagnino and starring Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer. Yeah, we really have kind of recorded this recently enough that people have remembered it, but also kind of thoroughly got over talking about it. So you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, we're bringing the discourse back. Yeah, we're doing a very, like, historical podcast way of trying to be relevant. <laughs> But yeah, the plot of the two is pretty much the same for both. Yeah, largely the same. With a couple of key exceptions. Yeah, a couple of quite large exceptions. The protagonist of our story is 17-year-old Elio Perlman. He's staying with his family in northern Italy. They're kind of very cultured to the point of being obnoxious. That is true. And his father is some kind of professor of antiquities. And every summer he has a research student stay with him to act as an assistant and to finish their book or thesis or whatever. And this year, as 24-year-old Oliver... (sighs) It sure is. It sure is. Oliver is sure a man. Yep, he is an adult man. He's older than I am. He is not older than I am, though. Yeah. Elio is very, very into Oliver. I feel like more so in the book, like, it gets truly obsessive. Yeah, it really does. It gets creepy obsessive. I mean, obviously, obsessive kind of implies a degree of creepiness, but... Yeah, there's a lot of lines that didn't make it into the film, mostly because it's not narrated in the film, that really illustrate the extent to which his crushes spiraled out of control. It gets like quite manic and kind of like fever pitch in tone. There's a a lot of talk about like death. Mm. During the time that they're sort of circling each other. Both of them have fleeting relationships with women. Yes. But eventually the feelings between the two of them come to a head and they kiss and then Oliver sort of pushes him away for a little bit but then pretty pretty soon after that gives in and they start having sex. And that's the next section of the book I guess. (laughs) They continue the rest of their vacation that way having a sexual relationship uh, at the end of the trip they go and stay in in the book it's rome yeah in the movie it's a town called bagamo i very much had this said to me by the movie but i've forgotten how to say it i'm sorry if it's wrong <laughs> but in any case they have a little like few days to themselves apart from the family and so forth off in another part of italy and then oliver goes back to america Elio is heartbroken and returns back to his family and his father reveals to him that he knows that the relationship has been going on and he's fine with it. And then the summer ends pretty much and six months later he learns that Oliver is engaged. And that's where the movie ends. In the book there's a whole other part where the two meet again 15 years later and then 20 years later and kind of discuss the summer that they had together. Yeah, it, I found that quite strange. I also wanted to quickly mention what I felt was the other key difference between the book and the movie was that the book has this other character called Vermini, who is 
a little girl who has leukemia with whom Oliver becomes quite close. Yeah, that's about it. There isn't much in the way of plot. No, it's not a plot-heavy novel. There's a lot of things that happen that if you just describe the like basic action of the scene, such as they went to the store, it sounds intensely boring, but it's weighted with significance because of feelings in yeah, the book. Yeah. So it's and a I weird mean, one to describe the plot of. Yeah, and I mean, in the book, there's a lot of narration going on, and in the movie, there's a lot of acting yes. with a capital A. Yeah. <laughs> so as we like to start these episodes off, what did you think of it? I found the book a little bit insufferable. Okay. Yeah, I just was waiting and waiting and waiting, and then eventually they banged, and I was sort of like, okay, but now I feel kind of, as I had the whole novel, very conflicted about this whole thing. Yeah. And then it ended, and I was like, all right, sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, we should probably say uh, that we had different, I guess, yeah, we had different orders. Yeah. Uh, because I saw it in the movies, knowing next to nothing about it, which was an experience. Mm. And then I read the book, and you presumably had heard a bunch of stuff about it. Yeah. And then you read the book first, and then watched the movie. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. If we have different feelings. Well, I enjoyed the movie more. Okay. Mostly because it didn't feature, you know, 150 pages of narration. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad that you said that that was your reaction to the book because that was also my reaction to the book. And I thought that maybe it was because I essentially already knew everything that was going to happen. Hmm. I mean, apart from the last section, I guess, because of seeing the movie. So I thought, you know, maybe that whole like build up of like, will they or won't they means nothing to me because I know they will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I was just like, oh, I guess that I'm only 50 pages into this. Huh. <laughs> and there's a lot of very fervent reviews about how good it is. And I was like, I mean, OK. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the whilst there are a couple of things missing from the film that I quite enjoyed. Like, I much preferred the trip to Rome in the book to what we got in the film. Yeah, which is very short and kind of cursory. Yeah, well, and it only has the two of them. Yeah. It doesn't feature all of... I mean, there's that brief scene where they dance with people at a car. But I thought the addition of all the other characters and the character dynamics that we got in the book with the Rome section was much more interesting. I actually enjoyed that part of the novel okay. probably the most. Uh, so we should probably explain a little bit more about what those characters are then. Yeah, so... Oh, who is there? There's the poet? Yeah, I, well, I mean, what happens mm. is that they have this incredibly long night... Yes, they where do. ...where they are in the hotel room and then they go out to a book signing and then it kind of, like, traipses around the city and they go to different restaurants and bars and things like that. But, yeah, it starts at a poetry reciting and so, like, a poet is there. Mm. His family's there, I believe, and then it's sort of, like, their circle of generally older people who are kind of, like, very into, I don't know, how, like, young Elio and Oliver are. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, like, somewhat unclear sexual mm. tension going on. Yeah, it is a very tense thing. And I'm like, I don't know why this is going. Yeah. And it was also deliberately manufactured by Elio and Oliver to some extent. Like, mm. they deliberately started having sex and then yeah, didn't finish yeah. and then go out to this... So that their whole night would be coloured by the fact that they... Were really horny. Were essentially, like, mid sex scene for the entire night yeah which i is not 
my experience of how sex works, but sure. So for me, because it comes right at the end of the book, and I think potentially because I was primed by the movie to not expect this to be long, I was just like, oh, so this is still going on. And I didn't really get a lot out of that. Okay. I was just like, I think by that point, I just wanted the book to be over and I can't really judge it on its own merits. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that is fair. But yeah, I think overall, I found the movie okay. Mm-hmm. And I thought the book was a bit overwrought. Yeah, I mean, I guess also what I wanted to say is one of the things that I did like about the movie is just that it was pretty. Mm, it and very much was. there were lots of fruit trees, and the house was really nice, and the soundtrack was fun. Yeah, I That's quite not in... very deep commentary, but I felt that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the pacing of the film was quite good and mm. had a very nice rhythm to it that really yeah, was well supported by the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And very much, given how big a part music plays in Elio's life in general, but mm. also to some extent in his relationship with Oliver, yeah. um, or at least the development of it, I appreciated the fact that it had been adapted into a movie. I think it was worth adapting into a film purely for mm. the scene where he plays whatever, the Bach. Yeah, Bach is played by Liszt, is played by Bazzoni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I Like, having that actually adapted, being able to actually listen to it as someone yeah. who... You know, was reading that and did not know that piece of music mm. because I'm not a particularly musically literate person mm-hmm. to actually see that play out and be able to notice the differences and understand why Oliver was having that reaction yeah. was, you know, quite good. Yeah. Regarding the pacing, um, so I'm someone who can't really watch movies. I don't like going to the cinema because I can't focus for that length of time. Mm-hmm. And it kept my attention for a good, like, three quarters of it before I started just, like, looking at my phone. And that doesn't sound like praise, but it is, trust me. Actually, so I watched this with my partner, yeah. and she had a similar reaction where she was enthralled for the first three quarters, and then the okay. last probably ten minutes or so, her review afterwards was basically, yeah, that really dragged in the last ten minutes. Yeah, which I think that, like, if it's only dragging in the last ten minutes, we've noted that not a lot happens in this movie. Yeah. The fact that, like, it manages to make just kind of endless scenes of, like, them sitting around and them going and swimming and them walking into town, quite captivating. It's impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A feat of scripting, a feat of direction, and also just very, very talented actors. Yeah, well, the actors were very good. I feel like if this had had even, like, slightly less good actors, this movie would have been absolute garbage. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but it didn't. But it didn't, and yeah. that was that was nice. I guess we've already talked about it a little bit, but do you want to talk a bit about how the book was translated to the movie? I thought it generally did a quite a good job of, as you mentioned, for example, with that section where it's playing the piano, of translating something from text to like a visual medium or a visual and audio medium, I yeah, guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely could sort of almost hear the echo of Elio's narration during certain scenes. So we should probably talk about the two big differences we noted in the uh, section where I tried to review the plot, yep. which is for Minnie, the little girl who has leukemia and the final section, and if we feel that that was lacking in the movie. To pretty quickly cover that second point, mm-hmm. I didn't feel the movie lacked for the lack of that scene. Yeah, I also feel like in the book, it was just kind of hammering home themes that it it pretty much dealt with. Yeah, Um, and it felt very strange because you don't get any sense of how Elio has developed. Okay. Like, oh, at least I didn't really get Mm -hmm. any sense of that. He never specifies any details about what he's done with his life. Yeah. You get a very, fairly complete picture of what Oliver's life has looked like. 
Yeah. But Elio just kind of, there's like vague allusions to him being involved in academia. Mm. And that's it. I, I just feel like if you're going to have a scene like that, maybe you should contextualize what what he's done with his life and how that's true so well, a common comment that is made and sometimes it's a criticism and sometimes it's praise mm-hmm. about the bulk of the plot so like the whole plot in the movie yeah the bulk of it in the book is that it feels like it's in this little vacuum away from the rest of the world and sometimes people have praised it as being this like very like dreamlike sort of fantasy world and other times people have said like well for reasons we'll get into later that's no good mm. and it's interesting to think about what you just said in the context of that like it's almost sort of not allowing him to really like it doesn't really paint a picture of him as fully engaged with his own life yeah and it, it i think if you're going to have that scene where you're flashing forward so far in time and you're flashing forward to presumably when he is writing down these mm, thoughts about mm-hmm. himself as, or having these thoughts about himself as a teenager then snapping out of that dreamlike state might have been a more interesting interesting choice and might have justified the presence of that additional scene but as it was yeah i think it just as you said hammered home existing thematic things that we'd already understood yeah by that point of the novel yeah let's talk about vermini so why why is vermini here in the first like why is she in the book that is a question i'm not sure that i have a particularly good answer to so i mean i guess i thought you know there's that whole theme about like impermanence and things like that I guess well, like, she's young and brilliant, but she's not going to live very long. Sorry. And I guess the, the fact that uh, she has this friendship with Oliver, yes, that is impermanent, is I guess a reflection yeah. of and how I guess, his relationship with Elio is also going to be impermanent. Yeah, true. I, I think also that it maybe tried to go a little way towards just kind of fleshing Oliver out a little bit more and showing him having a key relationship with someone else, because we know a lot about Elio because we spend a long time inside of his head, and comparably, Oliver's quite an opaque person. Like I feel like we don't really get to know him in the same way building on what you just said okay we do spend a lot of time with elio sort of talking about oliver as this very sort of stone cold mm-hmm. kind of there's a word that i'm looking for but i can't quite yeah no i know what you mean just kind um, of a very like implacable sort of figure yeah who yeah. is fairly cruel at different points mm-hmm. um from elio's perspective mm-hmm. and to see this kind of break where you see his relationship with Vimini and the fact that Elio doesn't seem to quite grasp it fully is kind of, I feel, fairly illustrative of the fact that then later in the novel he realises that he has not really grasped Mm. all of his feelings for him the entire time either. Yeah. I guess that relationship does serve a purpose there. But it was quite a strange little subplot to have. Yeah, it was a strange thing to read having seen the movie in which she is not included in any way. Because I think it was one of those things where I was just sort of like, this doesn't fit into my picture of what this is. Yeah, what is happening now? Yeah. The fact that she doesn't get a huge amount of development beyond being beautiful and kind Mm. and lovely and then dying does make it feel like a slightly cheap shot. Yeah. Like a sort of cheap pull for emotions. But on the other hand, sometimes that's what you do when you write books. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, now that we've kind of got our preliminary remarks over, let's talk about how this is about a 17-year-old boy and a 24-year-old man for a bit. Because I don't know about you, but for me, that kind of colored everything else that I wanted to talk about. And so I feel like we need to do this now. Yes. No, I feel like we definitely need to start here. Okay. It's been interesting. Uh, when I first thought about talking about this on this podcast, it was like six months ago. And I feel like the tone at that point around the movie was almost universally praising. Yeah. That's so I came out of this movie and was like, so that was really pretty, but that made me uncomfortable. And the reaction I got from everyone was, what are you talking about? 
to the extent that I kind of feel like I was being culturally gaslighted by the entirety of the world. <laughs> and it shifted much more sort of towards the middle or even towards the other end of the scale now, where they, at the very least, when people talk about this movie, they're like, and obviously there was that controversy about the age gap. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so obviously this is something that a lot of people still think is fine. I guess my point of view on it, to summarize this whole conversation we're about to have very briefly, Mm -hmm. is that it's not inherently a bad thing to portray this relationship, but they didn't seek to really contextualize it in any way. And I don't feel like portraying it as just a completely, like, neutral to positive thing. And I'll talk about why I feel like that's... Well, I feel like that's what people have come away from it with. Yeah, well, and I feel like that's what the book wants you to come away from it with, and the movie, in that, you know, I mean, you have the explicit endorsement of the father at the end of that relationship, and especially given, there's kind of layers of older man, younger man relationships, right, because you also have Oliver coming to stay with the family Mm -hmm. in the first place Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. the whole like plot is kind of reinforcing this idea that having these kind of mentor relationships Mm -hmm. is a positive thing yeah okay and Um, kind of framing oliver and elio's relationship as something like that which you know i think it's questionable whether i don't think it's questionable i am 100 percent certain it is questionable whether such relationships are always positive they like there are definitely times where they are not and there might be times where they are and arguably this might be one of those times we're not actually sure because as i said earlier even in the book where you get the flash forward of 20 years you never you never know what actually happened to elio really Mm. Um, yeah so a lot of the reason why people have been saying that this is a fine thing to be in this film is this kind of like oh it happens sexual desire and sexual awakening is sometimes messy you know it doesn't always happen in a way people are comfortable with and like yeah sure fine but i I, yeah i just do feel like if you're gonna make a movie that's about a 17 year old and an adult man and oliver is an adult man yes as much as some people who have watched this seem to want to deny that and and argue that he's still kind of on the cusp of adulthood no he's an adult man yeah (laughs) i just you can't depict that without it being like a a major sort of part of the movie to kind of explore that in both like a positive and a negative way you just can't yeah and i think to respond to that point that you were talking about people having made about young love being messy i think that's a fair enough point but i'm not necessarily certain it applies to this plot Mm. because as we've kind of already established the whole thing does take on a fairly dreamlike quality Mm. and they do kind of get this very like convenient situation right where like they're able to spend a lot of time hanging out with just the two of them Mm -hmm. and you know they end up having a romantic getaway to rome yeah which again organized by the parents at least one of whom knows the situation yeah i just uh, don't think is a big part of i think why like the movie comes across as approving of this whole thing yeah and why people have kind of said no it's fine his parents know his parents send him off to rome to have sex with this adult man i'm not sure that makes it better Um, no it it makes it 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 made it very uncomfortable for me yeah and that's not really reflective of the messiness of young love right like that's that's not a situation that i feel is going to be relatable for very many people mm. you know particularly for people who've had relationships with someone who was older than them like yeah. usually your parents are disapproving of that usually it's something where it's very very hard to like establish that kind of dynamic and usually it is very messy and the whole thing did come across as fairly convenient 
for yeah, that's true. in the plot. So, yeah, I don't necessarily think that saying, oh, well, it's young love, it's messy, and, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out perfectly well. Yeah, okay, but I feel like this was not particularly messy. I mean, the only thing I think that people are talking about that is that the object of his desire isn't someone who is viewed as socially acceptable. Mm, yeah. They're not talking about anything else. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about some reasons why people have said this is okay real briefly, because I think there's been a lot of nonsense said on the internet. All right. So, <laughs> Hit me uh, up with some arguments. All right. Um, I'm going to pitch them at you, and you can knock them down if you want to. <laughs> I'll give them a rating out of 10. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I only have a couple. We've touched on one already, that the parents approve, and therefore it's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> I give that a... I give that a... Uh, maybe a two out of ten. Yeah. Uh, did you know that the age uh, of consent in Italy in 1983 was 14, and so it's fine? Uh, like, I did not know that. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know that that makes any difference yeah, whatsoever. I don't know that either. Given that, I mean, obviously he's, he's 17, isn't he's he? He's 17, yes. Yeah, so he's above the age of consent in most countries. Yes. That doesn't change the fact that it's a seven-year age gap at a time where that is a meaning, a very meaningful difference in terms of where you are at in your yeah. life and how developed you are. Yes. Also, I just don't understand how we can try and pretend that age of consent laws are some kind of arbiter of morality when we're talking about queer people, especially given that age of consent laws have so often legally discriminated against gay men by making their age of consent higher yeah and i think yeah that's just a very like frankly cheap argument that doesn't make any sense yeah and you're better than this guy yeah and like yeah we're not making a legal judgment of this relationship yeah i'm we're not making... breaking into the novel to arrest oliver guys <laughs> i'm just saying that it was kind of inappropriate <laughs> oh also frankly sorry i'm just okay. i need to laugh at that two of you like get your queer badge out and you're just like all right that's it <laughs> can you imagine how ridiculous it would be for me to confront army hammers oliver given that i am almost his age and i am maybe half of his height and width. <laughs> um but also like frankly if the reaction that you have to have to a fictional relationship that you like is, ah, but technically it's not illegal. I think that you need to acknowledge that there's some nuances of morality here that you aren't acknowledging. Yeah. So, yeah, I give that argument even less okay, weight cool. than the parent argument. Another common argument is that, well, you're just being homophobic. If Elio had been a girl, this wouldn't be a problem. That's a more interesting one to discuss. I, I think certainly some of the discourse about this relationship and some of the discomfort that some people have with it mm -hmm. would be based in homophobia. Yeah. Right? Like, that's... Yeah, sure. But I don't think that, for example, the two of us... <laughs> Mm -hmm. would nece have necessarily any compunctions about the fact that it's a gay relationship yeah, given that no, we probably not. run this podcast. Yeah. But I would have a yeah, yeah very similar reaction if this was um, a girl. Um, I would have a very similar reaction even if Oliver was a woman. Yes. Well, it's sort of interesting that I've seen this said a bunch of times. I've seen people specifically say if Elliot was a girl, not if one of them was a girl. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I feel like that might be illustrative of something. Yeah, so The Advocate, for example, last year had an article entitled 19 Straight Films Where Call Me By Your Name's Age Gap Wasn't an Issue. And I read through those and I was like, yeah, no, a bunch of these are a problem and yeah. they're bad and we've been having a conversation about how that's bad. Like, yeah. I just feel like our response to that is there definitely are still films with much younger women 
in relationships with older men, and they're also a problem. Yeah, we, we can walk and chew gum. like We, we can, can walk and chew gum. And I think it's important to recognize that, yeah, when we go ahead and criticize something like Call Me By Your Name, mm. we're not picking this out as the only film to fall prey to this um, yeah no of course not this trope a lot of films do this and it's problematic every single time and i think that a lot of the discussion that has taken place has talked about call me by your name as an example of a wider thing that happens in films yeah and talked about it as a problem as a part of that so have you got any other arguments one more one more that the relationship is okay because elio was the one who went after oliver and i mean again that's yeah, I don't. Like, I think that's a ever so slightly better mm-hmm. argument. But... Like, not as predatory as it could have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, like he wasn't man- he wasn't like super manipulated into the relationship. Although, I mean, it is revealed later in the plot. That yeah, I was Oliver has say. been pursuing him as well, mm. and and it's mentioned in the book as well. Uh, Elio sort of says like, I realized that we'd been flirting for a long time, and that he was probably more aware of it than I was. Yeah. Which made me be like, oh, oh, okay. Speaking of predatory aspects to this relationship, okay. um, something that didn't, that wasn't mentioned at all in the film, mm-hmm. but in the book, that dream that wasn't a dream, that was a dream of Oliver coming in and lying on top of him. I've forgotten this and I'm, please say more. Yeah. So that's something that the assumption is that it's a dream. Okay. But yeah, there's a scene early in the book where Elio's asleep or pretending to sleep and... Oliver comes in and just, like, lies on top of him for a while and then leaves. Okay, wait, and this is before they're... Yeah, this is, like, very early. This is in the first, like, third of the novel. It's unclear if it's a dream or it's, like, revealed to not be a dream. It is never explicitly revealed whether it's a dream, Hmm. as far as I'm aware. Um, Well, that's something. And regardless of any of that, I think the idea that, oh, well, he pursued him, so that makes it okay... Obviously, like when you're an adult, if mm-hmm. someone you know, if someone much younger than you pursues you, mm-hmm. then it is somewhat beholden on you to yes. say, mm, maybe let's not lean into this. Yeah, and exactly. it's not like it's not like he at any point tried to discourage. He he did very he did at Monet's berm, mm, and then true, he true. kind of immediately was like, no, nah, let's have sex. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. He basically like yeah he offers a fig leaf of resistance. Yeah, and then immediately goes back to flirting with him yeah but yeah absolutely like if you're a 24 year old and a teenager hits on you you have a moral obligation to not have sex with them (laughs) i agree with that moral obligation (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i wanted to kind of touch on the fact that the relationship is treated as taboo in the movie you know so for example when elio when they're at the war memorial Mm -hmm. and elio is trying to raise the issue and all of it goes and we can't talk about those things yeah and then once they've kissed he says we've been good we haven't done anything to be ashamed of and that's a good thing what's the problem is it the fact that they're both men or is it the age gap or is it the fact that he's working for his father or is it just ultimately ambiguous yeah i took it as the fact that they're both men uh-huh i yeah i do think that he does seem to be somewhat aware of the age gap, but mm, he seems to be more aware of the fact that they're both men than he is at the fact that there's an age gap. Okay. Again, it's a little bit hard because obviously everything's coming from Elio's perspective. So yeah. 
And I think from Elio's perspective, the age gap is not really an issue at all. The way that 17-year-olds are. Whereas, obviously, Elio does experience a lot of conflicted feelings about the fact that it is a gay relationship. Yeah. Um, He goes back and forth several times, particularly in the novel. In the film, I don't think he does. He doesn't really experience that same sense of shame. He does a little bit experience shame about the thing that he does to the peach that's different <laughs> true yeah 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 he does yeah. Um, but he doesn't seem he because in the book after they have sex and then he seems to have like quite a bit of regret and yeah, he yeah. like gets very very upset he decides doesn't he that like this can't happen again this is and then Oliver comes and gives him a blowjob? Yeah. And so, then he's right right back in. Well, yeah, like he's a 17-year-old. He's having his penis touched. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. And, I mean, that's another illustration of, you know, it's not just Elio seducing Oliver, right? Like, Elio is at that yeah, point. Yeah, no, absolutely not. At that point being like, mm, no, and then Oliver goes right back in, so. Yeah, he's like, but what if yes? And Elio's like, a good point. Yeah. I wanted to, I guess, talk about a few times in the film where I was viscerally on comfortable about the age gap Mm -hmm. so yeah if we we want to i guess maybe talk about the aftermath of the peach scene elio is quite ashamed like he's clearly like oh god what have i done and he falls asleep for a bit and then oliver comes in Mm. and they're just on two completely different pages in two completely different books i felt about like how they're feeling at that time where Elio is kind of talking about like oh like I'm really sick and Oliver goes to eat the peach yeah and he's like don't do that and he's repeatedly just saying like don't do this please don't do this to me yeah and I don't think that Oliver really gets that he's like genuinely upset and that there's genuinely a problem here uh and the climax of that is Oliver pinning him down and him saying stop you're fucking hurting me and then Oliver being like well then don't fight it and then he starts crying and Oliver is like oh I've like something's going on here and puts it down and comforts him yeah but just like they were just on completely different wavelengths there and I think that that's just sort of yeah emblematic of the fact that like there are just completely different stages in life and that's a gap that can't fully be breached yeah yeah because I think like Oliver doesn't seem to go through the same kind of constant inner turmoil that Elio does like about their relationship like he's kind of like "Mm, I don't really want to do this but once he's doing it he's like yeah okay cool yeah. And... I don't know. I don't feel like I have a good handle on Oliver. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> but yeah, like, that made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. I also wanted to mention when they're discussing, you know, oh, we should have got together way earlier, and Oliver is mentioning that, like, he did try and flirt with Elio and he thought Elio wasn't into it. Um, he mentions that he gave him, like, a back rub, mm. and Elio, like, broke away. And he goes, oh, you made me feel like I'd molested you. And then Elio apologizes for that. And he's like, oh, it's fine. I just decided not to pursue you. And it made me really uncomfortable because he was, like, apologizing. Yeah, for for being uncomfortable that an older person was was touching touching him. him. And I don't know. Like, there was just – I feel like the fact that there was that age gap colored a lot of interactions that otherwise could have been – not fine, but fairly innocuous. Yeah. And that I was no agree. good. I wanted to touch on what the author and what the main two stars had to say about this. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was reading this and watching this kind of wondering, like, but what are you meaning to be happening here? Yeah, yeah. Like, if this is meant to be fine, like, what was going on in your head? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Andre Asterman has this quote that's been going around a lot in articles about this topic Mm -hmm. uh, where he said those seven years they do matter the person you are at 17 and the person you are even at 16 totally different and from 17 to 24 there's a substantial difference and i like that difference 
You do need a relationship in which one has all the experience with life and the other is just beginning to discover what life is. I don't think that's true. That you don't need that? Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> um, but I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I would agree. I have not had a relationship like that, so... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's aware of it, but he doesn't view it as a negative thing. I mean, yeah, he pretty explicitly views so, it as a positive uh, thing. So that's a, that's a time. Do with that what you will. And I've found, in general, the people involved in the movie have been much less forthcoming mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so Army Hammer, for example, uh, is quite notably shot down as being an aspect of the film that's in any way possibly an issue at all. Okay. Uh, he's pointed to Age of Consent laws to say that it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also said, To us, nothing about the relationship was predatory. It was always just a spark between the two that grew and grew. And while these guys are at different stages in their life, Oliver being someone who may or may not have done something like this before and who was conflicted about it, and Elio having this open-mindedness and innocence which he brings to the situation, it never felt to us like Oliver was this lascivious character going after Elio. The mutual attraction and acceptance of what they feel for each other is the real beauty at the heart of the film. And different things like that, where he's essentially saying, like, no, no problem. And from what I have seen from, like, press junkets and stuff, Hmm. everyone's just quite unwilling to engage with the possibility of it even being valid that someone would feel uncomfortable with it. Which I understand from the perspective of the people involved in the movie, right? Because it'd be kind of awkward to try and have a, have that conversation when the movie itself does not really have that yeah. conversation as we've kind of... And particularly the movie compared to the book, like... Mm-hmm. The book at least has Elio, you know, feeling a lot more conflicted about this and constantly going back and forth and constantly struggling, at least plausibly to some degree, with the um, nature of the relationship. And we've talked a bit about how we're not necessarily clear what he's struggling with there, Mm -hmm. but there is at least some sense that the relationship is a bit complicated, I guess. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's a lot less of that in the film. Elio's reaction to their relationship... Is a lot less complicated. Is a lot less complicated uh, in the film. And that influences how the entire relationship comes across. Yeah, and I think so for the stars of the film to then come out and try and have discourse about that would, you know, even if they do have thoughts about that personally, mm-hmm. I feel like they would probably be unlikely to yeah. mention Yeah, I really would have liked it if someone at least could have said like, yeah, of course this is quite an intense thing to portray and we understand there's going to be many reactions. I think it's fine because of this, this, and this. But like, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that would have been a more appropriate Yeah, response. I think that would have been more appropriate Because well. obviously for a lot of people, and like you're saying, you know, there were scenes in this film that made you viscerally uncomfortable. I think there's going to be a lot of people who have watched this film or read this book who yeah had very strong negative reactions and were very experienced a lot of discomfort as a result of this i also wanted to bring up the fact that oliver's potential like inexperience with being in a relationship with a man mm-hmm. is often used to kind of negate the fact that he has greater just experience with life or with sexuality in general, mm. you know, to kind of portray it as like, well, you know, these two men are getting into this sexual relationship and both of them seem pretty inexperienced with gay stuff. So is there any really difference in experience here at all? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes. Yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> and it, it's, I mean, it's very clear that he has some sexual experience. Yeah. And I, I like, I guess you can kind of try and interpret whether or not he's slept with men before or not, it's not clear in any way. Yeah, I absolutely But I don't, don't think, think it matters. Yeah. I don't think it matters, and I also don't necessarily agree with that reading, that he mm. hasn't had sex with men before. Mm. It wasn't how I read the book. Yeah. Um, I think it's slightly more plausible reading in the, in the film, but even then, that's not how I would have read it personally. Yeah, okay. So that's about all I wanted to say about that. We've labored that point pretty hard. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, 
So basically now I just kind of wanted to talk about like gay things in this movie for a while. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's really it. why we're here. Let's talk about classics. So obviously there's a lot of classical references in this. Mm-hmm. Professor Palman is some kind of antiquity scholar. Yep. That's the premise of them being there. So you have the opening credits opening to all of these photos of Hellenistic statues and... There's many, many examples. So obviously classical references are used to be a symbol of gay stuff pretty frequently. Yeah. In anything. In anything. Um, And I think it's another way in which the movie is kind of tacitly endorsing their relation, the age gap in their relationship, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of in the background, just including a lot of... Artifacts from a culture that had a recognized form of relationship between an adult man and an adolescent boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was definitely just in the background of this movie. Yeah. Which was a weird thing for me as someone who was very excited by all the classics, but was also like, but like... (laughs) But I see what you're doing with it, and I don't like it. Yeah, (laughs) especially uh, going back to the role of the father in this whole situation. I was especially thinking about that scene when Oliver's kind of like stuck in the professor's study going over these slides while he's waiting for the day to pass so he can go upstairs and have sex with Elio for the first time. Yeah. And they're looking at these statues and talking about how sensuous they are. Yes. And the father's like, you know, they're daring you to desire them. And I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) But it does sort of bring up, like, an interesting how do we reference classics and so forth in films today, given that we don't agree with the sexual ethics of the ancient world yeah uh that's beyond the scope of this episode (laughs) but you know it's like an interesting thing to mull over Mm -hmm. uh so let's talk about jewish stuff in this movie yeah isn't it so weirdly uncomfortable how catered to me this movie is Um. i didn't ask for this i don't want this (laughs) but it sure was made for you yeah it was so everyone in this movie is jewish basically like, not random secondary characters, but the Palmans are and Oliver is. Yeah. And they're yeah. pretty much the, the relevant characters. The, what, four main characters. Yes. Yeah. Elio makes some kind of reference to Christmas, and Oliver's sort of like, Christmas, aren't you guys Jewish? <laughs> uh, and he goes, well, we are Jewish, but we're also American, Italian, and French. It's a somewhat atypical combination. Besides my family, you're probably the only other Jew to set foot in this town. And Oliver goes, well, I'm from a small town in New England. I know what it's like to be the odd Jew out. Uh, it's also a thing that's made a big deal of that Oliver wears a Star of David at all times. Yeah, and, and that he, like, has his shirt on button, oh, so he's, like, sure very, do. very visible at all times. Yeah, I'm not above being attracted to what we have. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, and Elio has some feelings about that. Where he... Yeah, so Elio uh, mentions that he also has one, but that he doesn't wear it anymore. Mm. And when Oliver asks why, he says, well, my mother says that we're Jews of discretion. But then he does start wearing it mm. for the rest of the film. And it was also quite prominently on his like less impressive chest, because he looks like a 17-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> well, he, he does say in the book that he tries to wear it in the same way that Oliver does. But and he's he, like, no. I can't do this. <laughs> but he does start wearing it so yes. i think in the, i think in the book it's kind of that he's wearing it but like probably under his shirt yeah or at least it's a little or bit at least less clear but in the movie it, his shirt up like yeah it, yeah <laughs> but he does he wears it in the movie doesn't he yeah. yeah 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 so there's a scene where he's swimming at the river and it comes up and because of like the water it's like on his mouth and he like kind of spits it out and mm. keeps swimming mm. and then we just kind of see it around his neck like on the outside of his shirt yeah a whole bunch of times yeah so I wanted to read you a few quotes from articles because this is a sentiment that I found a bunch 
when I was reading about this that made me angry, so I included them to Excellent. be angry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one from the National Review goes, the film plays with the idea of ethnic and class assimilation by pointlessly bringing up Elio's envy of Oliver's wasp-appearing Jewishness. Uh, another one from The Observer goes, the fact that they're all Jewish is beside the point, and given Arnie Hammer's blonde hair and blue eyes, not totally persuasive. First of all, if you want a Jew who looks like Arnie Hammer, I would advise you to look no further than Arnie Hammer. <laughs> That's that's like spectacularly bad in terms of the lack of research that's gone into that quote. Yeah. C- c- come on, shut the hell up. Yeah, that is... Jewish people can have blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Just, ugh. Second of all, uh, I take serious issue with the fact that this has no point in this film. And first of all, like, why does it have to have a point? Like, <laughs> let's just say that they weren't Jewish and Elio mentioned Christmas a couple of times and then the final scene that's set six months after in the movie, mm-hmm. in which there is a menorah lit for Hanukkah, yep. had had a Christmas tree instead. With people being like, so there was this pointless thing going on in the background about their Christianity? No, they wouldn't have. No, absolutely no, not. But it has a point. Andre Asiman said about Oliver and Elio that everything about them is, like, that they're very different from each other. Mm-hmm. And he says, they have one thing in common, and it's very important, it's their Jewishness. In other words, their Jewishness becomes their bond that's already implicit. It is also a metaphor for the thing that is not revealed, and in this case, it is the metaphor for homosexual desire. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good articulation, which you would expect from the author of the novel. Yes. Um, And I do think in the novel it is more apparent Mm -hmm. that, well, largely because, again, it is narrated, and Elio explicitly kind of talks Talks about about it. Talks about it, yeah, absolutely. you know, he feels more comfortable around Oliver specifically because he's Jewish. Yes. And these things aren't surprising. Andre Asiman is a Jewish man who grew up in Egypt, uh, and his work frequently deals with themes of exile and what is hidden and what is revealed. Mm -hmm. He said that when you grow up as a Jew in a place like Egypt and you see someone wearing a mug and dovid, so the Star of David, Mm -hmm. you say, I had no idea. Why don't they hide it? They're not supposed to show it here. Mm. And I think given the life experiences of the author and the way that it's treated in both book and movie – it takes a spectacularly bad take. shallow take <laughs> yeah. to see that as pointless. Yeah, and I think the comparison with homosexual desire that Asimov talks about yes. um, is very important. Yeah, particularly yeah, the idea that you know some pe- for some people their queer identity is hidden, and for mm-hmm. some people like it's very open. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe in some situations for some people it's very open, and in some situations it's not. And yeah, I think that that's a well-constructed metaphor and it's well-utilized yeah. in the novel and it's well-utilized in the film, but to a lesser extent. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand how you could have that take. Yes. So, yeah, okay. I also just, yeah, like, so obviously, as should be clear, I have complicated to negative feelings about at least parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. But that kind of, even though it is pretty brief examination of Jewish feelings about identity and the complicated nature of assimilating or not isn't something that we get to see in film, like, virtually ever. Yeah, and I thought that was one of the more interesting and compelling parts of. Yeah, like, I don't want to give it an insane amount of credit. It's pretty small, but it was interesting and good, and there's just very few examinations of Jewish identity in any media. So, like, cool. Yeah. So this is set in the 1980s. And the film doesn't really represent any negative repercussions of this relationship. Potential difficulties with the age gap aside, 
because we've established the film doesn't want to interact with that. Yeah. And the stars have said that this is something that they really pride the film on. They're really proud to be involved in this film that shows a gay relationship that doesn't result in anyone being hurt or anyone getting sick or anyone dying or anything like that. Okay. It's also really been stressed that this is a universal love story, something that anyone can go and see and relate to and like. Yeah. Army Hammer has said this is just a story of two human beings completely and organically surrendering themselves to someone else. I don't know anyone who won't watch this movie, regardless of your orientation, and go, that reminds me of the first time I fell in love. So, that's all innocuous and fine, right? (laughs) (laughs) I Um, mean, yeah, you expect to hear that from the people involved in a film, right? Yeah. To some extent, because they're trying to make money. Yeah, sure. I, to be honest, the first time I saw it, kind of liked that it was a 1980s gay movie that didn't have people getting killed or AIDS in it. Yeah. We've been in a real kind of like 80s nostalgia moment for a while, and I'm like super into it. And like, even if it is kind of a fantasy, as some people have argued, it's kind of nice to have this 1980s movie where like, it's just fine. Yeah. It's just fine. Yeah. And I think think that probably speaks to you know like yes the aids epidemic was going on but it wasn't like literally every single gay person had that experience right so it's good that we're getting a movie Mm. you know kind of given that we do have a fairly decent body of work yeah depicting the struggles of gay people with aids Mm. in the 80s i feel yeah it's probably worthwhile having some content that's like okay but that that wasn't the experience for everyone and like yeah let's like not just talk about that in that context A major theme of the main series of this podcast has been our surprise at finding so many stories of people in history who just, like, had nice lives and kind of, like, dated someone and were fine. And a major theme of the reviews I've gotten is, like, I didn't know that that could happen, and that gives me hope that it could happen for me now. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I just kind of liked that element of the film. (laughs) But that's not really a popular opinion amongst, like, gay reviewers. There's... A lot of criticism I've seen that that's, you know, unrealistic and it doesn't want to portray the realities of queer life and, yeah, that basically this isn't how this film should have gone. I guess I would point to the fact that it does kind of allude to homophobia, if only in small moments. You know, Oliver mentions, for example, that his father would have carted him off to a correctional facility if he'd found out that he had been in a relationship with a man. And he mentions that fairly casually, I feel, because everyone in the movie is kind of aware that there is Mm. a lot of prejudice against gay people yeah and like the movie goes to a fairly extent goes to fairly extensive lengths to set up a situation where they're going to be able to explore that identity without yeah. repercussions right it's not it's more like the movie puts them in a situation where there should be repercussions mm. and then there aren't they the movie puts them in a situation where they're around people who aren't going to care or they're not around other people at all yeah i also kind of wonder like if what had happened at the end of this was it turned out that they both had AIDS or they were discovered and one of them got beaten to death Mm. or something as has happened in many other movies yeah would the critical reception have been good i have no idea yeah i mean i just feel like we're kind of in this discussion at the moment where we're saying like we're sick of gay people's lives being depicted as tragedy and we're sick of every movie having to be about that and mm. then we get this movie, and we're like, but shouldn't this have been about tragedy? Yeah. And it's I'm, like, but, like, which one? I mean, yeah, that is the thing with, like, yeah. critical culture, right, is that you're going to cop it regardless of what yeah. it is. But I, I do think that we have a reasonable body of popular gay movies mm-hmm. at this point, 
and a lot of them end in tragedy. Mm-hmm. And so to have one that doesn't do that is, I think, important in speaking to the complexity of and like diversity of queer experiences. And yeah, especially given what I was about to say we, but what you guys have discovered through researching for the podcast and what um, and how people have reacted to that. Yeah. Yeah, it is important to recognize that some people get to be queer and have a happy ending and or, and or at least live their life relatively uninterrupted by tragedy. Yeah. I mean, I guess we should caveat this isn't really a happy ending, but it's definitely not yeah, that because a... they're gay. I, I guess I also kind of wanted to mention that there are two other gay characters in this movie. That is true. I'd forgotten about them for a and, second. Um, it's an interesting scene to include. So basically the family has two friends. They're a middle-aged gay male couple and they come for dinner and Elio makes fun of them a bunch. Yeah, he does. Uh, he calls them Sonny and Cher. He's reprimanded for that. Mm-hmm. His father always says, why do you make fun of them? You know, is it because they're gay or is it because they're ridiculous? <laughs> they didn't actually seem that ridiculous, to be honest. They were dressed a little ostentatiously, I guess. But like, compared to say that earlier couple they had for dinner, that Italian couple who were just talking so fast and so much yeah, that yeah, no yeah. one else could, they were much less ridiculous than that nonsense. Yeah, I thought I was a little bit disappointed compared to the book. Like mm. in the book, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, these are like quite fun characters. But then in the movie, they were just kind of like fairly normal. And I was kind of like... Yeah, and so I guess like, why are they here? What are we doing with them? Yeah, because it doesn't... Because I think it's kind of fair to be viewing this movie as, say, a gay man and see that and be like, excuse me? (laughs) Is it meant to illustrate some point about homophobia? Yeah, I'm not sure, because I'm not sure the movie really goes anywhere with that. Yeah. In that, you know, I guess there could be a point about, like, Elio experiencing internalised homophobia to be made, but I'm not sure that the plot... I definitely don't think the movie really goes anywhere in terms of exploring that. I don't really think the book goes very far in exploring that either. But, yeah, so... Whilst I guess it's nice to have more queer characters, Mm. and I guess it's an illustration that, you know, that the parents aren't really going to be all that concerned if they do find out. Yeah, that's um, true. At least from the perspective of it being a um, homosexual relationship, they might, Mm. but apparently not, have some concern about the age gap. But yeah, aside from that, I mean, again, as I guess um, we were talking earlier about the character of Vimini, they do kind of strike me as a little bit kind of function over form in terms of their um, use in the plot, which I guess is kind of everyone who's not. (laughs) <laughs> the like main pairing and to a lesser probably the father like the mother I don't think really gets much to do in the no. in the book she gets a little bit more to do in the film and mm. I was pleasantly surprised by that yeah and, and I guess that is in the book at least that probably is a bit more coherent because it's a bit of a function of the fact that it is being narrated by someone whose memory is tinged by the fact that they were a teenage boy at the time and was pretty self-centered slash centered on one particular person but to some extent that's not really an excuse for not fleshing out your characters <laughs> you know like to what at what point does that become just an excuse yeah yeah <laughs> it's been criticized for not depicting the hardships involved with being gay and in depicting uh, that gay male couple as kind of ridiculous um, as both trying to appeal to mainstream audiences and basically just not being as progressive as it tries to paint itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way it has been criticised for this is in its lack of an explicit sex scene between Oliver and Elio. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess in the film that is... In the film, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I should have clarified. <laughs> We've tried to keep it clear, but maybe we haven't at points which we're talking about. I'm sorry for that. 
Yeah, so I read an interview with Luca Guadagnino, who was the director, and he was asked, like, very straightforwardly, like, why didn't you include a sex scene between Elio and Oliver? Mm-hmm. And his response to it was, I wasn't interested at all. The tone would have been very different from what I was looking for. I wanted the audience to completely rely on the emotional travel of these people and feel first love. I didn't want the audience to find any difference or discrimination toward these characters. It was important to me to create this powerful universality. And my response to that is, can you come back and answer the question? (laughs) Yeah, and I I suppose before we talk about that, we should also note that there are explicit, at least one explicit sex scene in this movie, Mm -hmm. which is between Elio and Marzia. Yeah. Yes. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess... The point of that mm-hmm. is to contrast that, right? Is to say, look, he has yeah. this sex scene with Marzia, but that's not who he's emotionally. Yeah, and it is in. an awkward, yeah, not very emotional sex scene where he just kind of like awkwardly grinds at her for a minute and then is like, oh, yeah, came way too early, and then they laugh and then they go home. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hard, right? Because in this specific situation, I think that's a reasonable justification and fine. Like, you could have portrayed more sexually explicit stuff between them and made clear that it was a very different atmosphere. Exactly. I mean, the book does that. Yeah. I I do think that there comes a time when you're, like, when this happens repetitively, that it becomes a bit tiresome and it becomes something where, okay, but at some point someone needs to just out and out have an explicit gay sex thing. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of comparisons like, between this and Brokeback Mountain, which came out in 2005, and which has very explicit gay sex scenes. Yeah. We did that 12 years ago, and now we've kind of, like, zipped the jeans back up, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, an article for Slate about, like, why Moonlight and Call Me By Your Name uh, don't have explicit sex scenes by Billy Gray reads, But if the absence of difference, of material that challenges viewers to relate to desires, emotions, and even basic sex acts with which they are unfamiliar is required to lift queer love stories out of second-string festivals and limited releases, perhaps it's time to bring the debate about the perils of assimilation into the cinema. The truth is, queers are different. Film shouldn't mute that uniqueness or stylize its pitfalls at the exclusion of its happiness for fear of losing viewers or a shot at critical prestige. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And I also think that I, I just think audiences are ready. Yeah. If we can depict a diversity of straight sex acts, which we do yes. consistently I mean, is and it, constantly. <laughs> is it really more shocking to see two men have sex than it is to see someone have sex with a peach? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And so all of this has kind of ended up in this conversation where there's a bunch of articles where people are saying, is this even a gay movie, right? Because they see it as existing in this fantasy land away from any kind of real gay experience or concerns as catering to a mainstream audience or as not depicting real or genuine or authentic gayness. And yeah, I guess, what are your thoughts on this? Is Call Me By Your Name a gay movie? Yes. Okay. In short, could it have gone further in depicting explicit gay sex? Yes. But yeah. does the lack of an explicit sex scene, is, is sex the defining feature of whether or not something qualifies as a gay movie? No. Is there a form of gay movie that you could make that wouldn't qualify as a gay movie maybe i just i don't know i I personally don't really see it i think if you're making a movie with gay characters and you're and you're specifically explicitly making that the main relationship in the film at that point to me it's it's a gay movie but is it like the perfect articulation of what um queer people want in their representation no but nothing is 
Mm. It's interesting to me to see a lot of gay people or otherwise queer people say that this isn't a gay movie because the first time uh, that I came across that comment from a group of people, it was from straight people who were clearly a little uncomfortable with how much they liked this movie. Mm -hmm. And they were sort of saying, look, I I know that this is about two men, but like I'm straight and it's not a gay movie. It's it's a movie for everyone. It's a movie about Mm -hmm. love. Um, So I think that kind of put me in a position to then see other people say it wasn't a gay movie and be like, stop it. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, Um, why should those two things be mutually exclusive? Like, why can't it be a gay movie and something that everyone can engage with? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, straight people are boring and tiresome. I don't know what it actually makes about them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) True. And, yeah, like, I, I agree that saying a movie which has the basic conceit of these two guys have sex in Italy isn't a gay movie seems kind of weird so if the argument is that this is catering too much to straight people and it's not depicting what queer life is really like how much queer cinema are we retroactively disqualifying from being in any way gay you know like i've never seen someone say the boys in the band isn't a gay movie yeah and i guess that again gets back to that idea of whether or not queer stories need to include an element of tragedy and i don't think they do and just because this doesn't doesn't mean it's not a gay yeah movie so like i think yeah ultimately like yeah it's a gay movie is my opinion on it but that doesn't mean that i don't agree with some of the criticisms of it and i do kind of like we're getting to this point where like a piece of bad queer representation is one that we can just be like this isn't even a gay movie Mm. you know like we're getting to the point where we have good enough stuff to compare it to that we can just chuck this whereas like i don't know 20 years ago we wouldn't have yeah i think that it's good that we can get to the point where we can say, hey, look, we don't necessarily endorse the depiction of mm. um, gay life in this film, but I think that it goes a little bit too far to then say, well, this one doesn't count. This one's not a gay film. Yeah. So to me, yeah, I think I think it's good that we're at the point where we don't have to just force ourselves to like this because we're not going to get another one for five years. We will, and that's good, but I think that we need to accept that this is part of queer media. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We've been Queer as Fiction. If you somehow want more content about us, you can find us on social media as Queer as Fact on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter. You can also email us directly with whatever discourse you want to go into at <laughs> queerasfact at gmail.com. Uh, if you listen to this on iTunes, we would really appreciate it if you give us a rating out of five stars and a review. I'd also like to say I'm very excited. You can find us on Spotify now. <gasps> it's so Amazing. exciting. A functional podcast app if you pay for it. <laughs> Uh, so that option's there if that's your preferred podcatcher of choice Queerest Fact will be back with our next episode on the 1st of August but Jason and I will be back on the 22nd of August Uh, what are we going to talk about Jason? yeah we'll be talking about Alice Walker's 1982 novel The Colour Purple cool I'm sure that'll be a chill time and I look forward to it very much with that I have been Eli and I'm Jason and we'll see you next time